Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And in this episode, I sat down with Dave Vitale, who is the quintessential comics comic. I strongly recommend you go out and see him. You can go to his website, davevitell.com, A-T-T-E-L-L.com. I'm not going to spell out Dave because it doesn't have some strange... I don't know if they do that now, like D-A-P-H. Anyways, go check out Dave Vitale. He has a show on Comedy Central right now every Saturday night at 1 a.m. He also has a special out, Roadwork, and uh, Comedy Underground is the the show that's every uh, Saturdays at 1 a.m. And um, Roadwork is his latest special. He is a phenomenal comedian, and we also got to talk about Operation Purple and um, his work in... Why do I need to tell you all this now? You're going to find out. So without further ado, here's my interview with David Tell, which took place at Joe's Pub. I'm here with David Tell. I'm so excited. We are in Joe's Pub, so this is a bit of an experiment because it's a little noisy. There's a subway going under us. It's not, yes. I thought it was my breakfast. It's There's a fridge, an AC. It's a little bit of a cooler in here. Yeah. It's it's a little empty, but it's a beautiful um, it's a beautiful place. It really is. I've never been here before. It's my favorite space, and like if you, it's so exciting to perform here. And if you look on the walls, you will plot. Is that a word that anyone under ninety uses? No, I think you're the person. I, you're the only person <laughs> I've heard use that in in <laughs> decades. But yeah, you see Leonard Cohen, and uh, who are the who's that? Uh, Stevie Nicks. Who is that? I once sat next to Glenn Close watching like Wally Shawn on stage. <laughs> How close were you to Glenn Close? We were not, well, because you have to remember the surgery. So there's like plastic surgery already on shielding who? her. On oh, Glenn Close? Thank you. Do I look like I've had work done? Not at all. Okay, well, I- You're ageless to me. I always assume you're in your mid twenties. This is going great already. Can we start a little bit at the beginning? Sure, let's get through it. I mean, let's do it. <laughs> so I feel like I was a little, your dad was in the Navy? That's kind of out of the, the blue, but yes, my dad was, but he wasn't a career Navy guy who just did his time okay. and got out. And then he was really, I would say his real uh, calling was retail. Really? Yeah, now he worked he for department stores. Which department stores? Um, Herman's, I don't know if you know this, that was a um, Is this in Queens sporting goods store. But my dad worked for Corvettes, which was like uh, one of the original department stores. In New York? In New York, yeah. And... Uh, um, he worked in department stores and then he eventually owned a bridal business, which uh, is where I worked when I was in high school. And my, everybody worked there, my whole family, we all worked there. And then... Um, is that what inspired you to be a lifelong bachelor? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a very good call. Yeah, we see, you see some craziness with the... This was before Bridezilla, you know, before <laughs> the uh, whole thing. But yeah, you would see a lot of, uh, a lot of stressed out brides. It was really a stressful gig. I mean, it really was. I, I give my parents a lot of credit for being in that business. And <clears throat> their business went bankrupt, and they lost their house and everything. So they, uh, you know, they kind of paid the price for it. But uh, still, it was an interesting... Well, that's a huge price to pay, though. Oh, yeah, what... absolutely. Well, did you feel like you, like, in, in, like, in hindsight? Because I feel like when people say, like, I got this out of growing up here, that it didn't really... It, it wasn't so easy to, to make the connection but now in hindsight do you see any connections or things you learned from your from your business i guess it was parents business yeah i think uh like we all were we're all workaholics i mean like that was definitely the thing like we all like love to work and my parents kind of put that in us and they also were like really good community people you know like we were involved in the scouts and the temple that's the jewish church and it i is- know you have a lot of uh non um 
Jews listening, so. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, so it's Reformed Jewish, if it's Temple. Yeah, Temple, it's Temple, and then, um, you, you know. You know that other Jews, more religious Jews, are horrified that we use the word Temple? Oh, what do they call it? Synagogue. Oh, right. Yeah, I never got that. I never really understood it. But uh, what I was going to say, Katie, is that uh, the cool thing about, like, growing up uh, in the suburbs is that, like, you know, your whole life you're thinking, like, one day I'm going to live in a city and it's going to be cool and, like, you know, I'm going to be in an apartment and, like, be able to go out all night and do all that kind of stuff. Because in the suburbs it's boring. And I know this because, uh, you know, I was just out in L.A. and, like, L.A. is really, like, a suburbs. It's one yeah, I mean, big like, suburb. you know, at ten thirty, it's like quiet, like that weird suburb quiet, and I hate that. And I was having like a flashback to my childhood of like, you know, this is so boring. And um, you know, now that I'm old, it's like all the people I knew, like in comedy, like they're all married. They all live like outside of L.A. and all these like, you know, gated communities and stuff like that. So you know, when I go do their podcast where I go see them, it really is like going back in time, going to a suburb again. And I, I just realized that, like, I don't like that, you know, I don't, you know, like, because that's the end game is, like, getting a house. It's like, no, it's not for me. I feel the exact same way, and it terrifies me. You're a city gal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, it's, you know, like, I, I really do respect you because, like, I, I think plugging away and being a self-starter, which I think now is, like, you know, everybody's, like, I, they're self-starters. But, I mean, I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, great ideas and very little follow-through. Yeah. And I think that, like, you have the follow-through and you do yeah. the work. And that's the unglamorous part of anything, which is the legwork of the, like, wrangling the guests. Like, you set this whole thing up. That's work. And people don't think it is, but it's a lot of work. And to do it continuously, you know, you really got to believe in what you're doing. And, uh, yeah. you know, the fact that you said that, like, I'm not a stand-up, you know, I think that's cool because I think there's a lot of people who, when I started, got into stand-up because they wanted to be actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were kind of like, you know, this is a way I can make some quick change. Maybe I'll get noticed. Maybe I'll get a sitcom like Seinfeld because he was kind of the prototype totally. of stand-ups being, you know, whatever. And then a lot of them, I guess, disappeared or, like, they, the road work dried up for them. And they, like, live in L.A. And, you know, I don't know what they're doing. And then now there's, like, a whole new wave of, like, new comics who I think also have this kind of, like, you know, I'll do comedy... And then maybe one of my videos will take off or I'll get noticed or I'll get, you know, I'm in an improv group and I've got a podcast. And they've got, like, a lot of, like, lines in the water. Totally. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I think everybody's invited to stand up. It's who, who stays at the party is really, like, what it's about. And, like, when you talk about Louis Black, I mean, like, he's a hard hitter who was, like, an unknown for so long. And then, like, when it popped, I mean, like, The Daily Show really did break him and, like, you know never enough respect and like thanks to John Stewart for like finding good guys and letting them do what they want it's all right there's a little drilling going on don't get worried Katie we're fine but um at the end of the day I would say that like you know Lewis Jim Norton the names that you named it's yeah. like these guys will be doing stand-up oh. in one form or fashion forever and I mean you know I I guess I'm in that same boat yeah you know? it's like the other thing I was going to ask you because I didn't you did the daily show too right and like, it wasn't a good fit for me, though, because uh, I would say this. I think John was doing me a favor. Yeah. But, like, when I look at the correspondents now, like, some of them are super, super talented. But I was pretty much the only, like, stand-up besides Lewis. And, like, I always thought that my bit, like, it was really about, like, delivering jokes on a topic. And then I felt like after a while that I was like, you know, 
I, you know, I, I don't know, like, if, if I'm, like, slowing the show down or hindering it, because I never felt really, particularly like I was in a grove, but yeah. I was like, you know, I love hanging out with John. I mean, like, he's just, like, he's the funniest, you know, well, he he's great. he is also a traditional stand-up. Yes. You know, like, before this happened, and I know, like, now he's, like, a revered intellectual, but, like... Right. The truth is, is like his origin is in real. Stand-up. He's a stand-up comic, yeah. and like you know, it's a great skill set to have being a stand-up comic. But I um, also think it's a talent at that point. So meaning, like, it's all work. Mm-hmm. But at that, like, once you've put in all that work, that's when you see if someone's talented or not. Right. <laughs> but I, I see a lot of people, like especially the new comics, like I see them in front of the comedy cellar, and they kind of like are incredibly um, curious and cocky, which is okay, but. I think they also don't really get that, like, you know, I know for myself personally, I was really not good at this for years and years and years. And I was in a wor- world of open mics. And I rarely, like, whenever I would go to the comedy cell or something, that would be to watch and then immediately, like, drift off into the night to, like, you know, a lot of these guys, they ask, like, you know, they, they really want, like, you know, some kind of advice when really the only advice yeah, is that, like, work. if you're doing... If you're getting stage time, you're doing everything right. If you're not, then, like, get that stage time, you know? Yeah. But a lot of them also have this voice that they're talking about, like, you know, my character. And I'm like, I didn't even know my character. I was, like, one joke at a time. Like, and I'm still that way now, which is, like, what's the next joke? And eventually you'll get to punchlines. Exactly. You keep plugging at this. Well, you know, I was voted best segue guy, (laughs) best setup man in the business. When I was watching on Insomniac... Right. You seem so at home on camera, and like the the show made perfect sense. Like you were so on, uh, so at home on camera. And then when you're just talking about the Daily Show, like you're saying it wasn't a good fit. Did you did you sense it inside for you personally? Did you feel like it wasn't as good? I never saw no, it no, the Daily Show. It's not no, no. I, I really just felt like you know this was like very cool that they had me on there. But uh, I know like. Uh, you know, John and, and the uh, producers there, like, I knew them forever and they were very cool to me. And, uh, no, no, I, I mean, like, I, I, I just knew I was not an actor and I'm not really good with scripted material. Like, if you give me the lines, like, I'm not going to say them. Yeah. I'm not going to do that because I, I think just from doing all the stand-up, it's like, I have so much material in my head, plus I'm always looking for, like, my take on things. So, um, the Insomniac Show, which was, which was, like, my idea, you know, uh, you know, it was pretty freeform. I mean, it was an unscripted and it was as reality as reality TV can be. But I think that show gets a lot of, um, gets a lot of play just because, um, you know, it was late night. It was drinking. It was like late night jobs. It was like uh, me looking to camera. There's a lot of the techniques that I use there that are like now kind of in standard all. That's exactly, it was before the, it, it happened elsewhere. And I, yeah. just like, I liked the, the quirkiness of like, Going to different cities, even in different countries, like, and then, like, you're yeah, a cow but I'm jealous. You're a cow yeah. <laughs> What do you do? Like, oh, that's your late night job? Like, it was porn and all of these things, but it was also, like, all these other jobs. And yeah. I, just, I kind of love No, the people that did it with me, uh, um, I'm sorry. <clears throat> the people that helped me create it or whatever, the producers, were, were amazing because, like, they were the ones who really, like, we'd go out and then we'd shoot, shoot, shoot. Then they come back and they would shape it into the shows. And, like, you know, I, I learned an important lesson, which is that, like, um, you know, you can never shoot enough, but it does, still doesn't mean that you're going to get it. And, uh, you know, we would shoot over, like, you know, it would take us, like, three nights to do all the different segments just because um, it was, uh, uh, you know, like, 
scheduling and all that kind of stuff. But we were up all night continuously and all that kind of stuff. So people always are trying to like, you know, you know, like go like, well, did you really? It's like, yeah, we pretty much really did everything you saw on the show. It was just the, um, I would say that the, the important thing with that show is that like, People go like, do you see other shows? Like, it's like I could care less about the other shows. It's like the shows that like get to travel more. Like those are the ones I'm jealous about. Well, Herschel Savage said something that I think was very cool, which is that, you know, women were always the stars of porn because guys were tuning in to see them. And like, if you if you were like a young stud, and like uh, let's say you were with like Annette Haven, who was like a goddess. Like I tried yeah. to get her on the show, on my show, or a Seika, or you know. Some of these other people that like the they would have to greenlight you as a dude to be the but guy. Why, why are the guys now never as attractive? That's a, that's an interesting thing. I think that the guys now um, there's two types of guys. There's the Euro guys and then our guys, and then there's the Euro girls and then our girls. And like <clears throat> there's a different look. Like I like the Euro girls because they look, you know, like classically sexy. Our girls look like they've been training and our guys look like they've been training. Whenever they like strip them of all the hair and everything, I think they look like 11 year old boys in some way. Like they look like robots actually is like ultimately because they have like no hair here, these huge boobs. And then the men are so unattractive. I'm like, how are you going to make porn fun for women if you have these ugly guys? Well, now there's a new type of porn that I think you would enjoy. It's called like girlfriend porn where it looks like it looks more like, you know, they're like in bed on a, on a lazy Sunday uh, making love. And I think that's, that's directed by women, and I think it's also for women. And, you know, even though it has all the sex, you know, the, yeah. the pop shot and everything, it still is more like kissing and touching, and I think that's wi- women-oriented porn. You, and I think you, that's cool because it's for ladies, too. Did you ever get exhausted, though, like going through all this film, or did you feel asexual by the end? Just watching no, the funny porn. thing with the with the retro is that like, um, you know, when you're watching porn for yourself, you're talking minutes. When you're watching porn for the show, you're talking hours and hours and tapes and tapes. And like every guy thinks that they're a porn expert. And, and like I realized that like there's some guys out there that are like, you know, I, I said like uh, Jim Norton and Joe Rogan, like these guys were like pathfinders. Like they could smell great retro porn before I even knew it. And they knew all the names and they knew everybody. So I really was like a novice compared to them. But I would say that after watching all these tapes and getting like to know like the library of classic retro porn, that um, <clears throat> there were so many great scenes that we never even showed of just like dramatic, crazy stuff that happened. And me and my people, and by the way, most of the people who worked on the show were women. So they were watching it along with us. And like, I would always go like, is this offensive? Is this wrong? Whatever. And the network Showtime, they were like, you're not allowed to show male penetration. You're not allowed to show um, <clears throat> any any kind of like, uh, you know, genitalia just for a second, you know, like for a second. And then that's it. And then they were like, you're not allowed to show any religion. And I was like, that's weird. In porn, because there's like a couple of fun nun things. I'm waiting for them to bring up like bestiality and be like, and no chickens, and then you like learn more about that executive than you ever wanted to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that that to me is like not even porn. Like that whole like you know donkey show. That yeah. that to me is just like a stunt. It's yeah. like a horrible stunt, you know. And um, <clears throat> the cool thing about the old porn is that like this was before the two two five seven law, which meant that like you know everybody had to be 18. So. Even though the porn that we show was all legal, there still is, like, weird stuff that you wouldn't see in porn today, like animals. Like, there'll be a parrot in there, and, like, you're not supposed to have animals on the set anymore. You know, thank God for porn sometimes, you know, like, just thank God for it. And, uh, you know, uh, 
the retro porn, like we talked about it, like the story and all that stuff is so much fun to watch and like to make fun of and to like make fun with. It's, it was great. And I'm glad I did that show. And I, and, and if they didn't, if they didn't cancel it, I would keep doing it. I just, I, I love that show. I feel like I want all, everything out there. Like, I just want it done well. And that's why I liked your show, because there was an intention there to do it well. Well, you know, the, the, the good thing about it is, like, you're not the only person who's, like, I saw the show, I didn't want to like it, but I did. That's where I'm Or guys go. would go, like, I, I made my watch, I made my wife watch it, you and she loved it. it. Yeah, I made my watch wife it, and uh, she she loved it. That, that's, okay. how I, that's how I feel, and I was going to ask you, like, because you, you do things, like, I was going to ask, like, when you go to do the troops and stuff like that, do you have to take out all the curse words and things like that? Now you do, because we live in a very... Um, the, the sad thing about the troops is that because they're government workers, <clears throat> anything that we in civilian world say like they should do, they actually have to do it. So like we'll all say like, you know, you should recycle. And then we'll be like, you know what, that's a great idea. Sometimes I'll do it, sometimes I won't. But you go to a base and they'll be like, put your glass, you know, here, put your paper there. And it's the same thing with like, you know, um, you know, like... Uh, inappropriate behavior now there is um now that uh you're allowed to be uh what you would call it there's no stipulations on gender or any of that kind of stuff uh uh i, I don't even know how to say it but like you could be whatever you want you know like uh they, don't ask don't tell that's gone Thank so god. they're doing Thank that god exactly so you know but they really act on it they really act on it and they also like for the last 10 years you mean, when you say act on it you mean they punish people no, that they really have to implement it. Oh, Everybody in this country is like, oh, yeah, absolutely, we should do that. And then they walk on to their own lives. There they actually have to do it. It's their own world. Yeah. And the, the laws that we, that we impose on them, they will act on because they work for the government. I mean, like, we don't live in a dictatorship. So what do you do? Because like, I feel like you would be such a great comedian there and all these troops want to see you. But then well, how, do you make your, how, do you, how do you sustain your voice? Like when you're having to make all these like cuts and things to make it appropriate. Well, there's some things that, that are like universally easy to make fun of, you know, like the heat and all that kind of stuff. But there, because we live in a very politically correct world, like you can't really make fun of the enemy like they would in previous wars. But Dave, I can't even imagine you joking about the heat without saying something that would be well, a dirty Well, that's word. part of, that makes it a job and you're doing it for the troops, not for yourself. It's not like, you know, I'm doing it for myself. But I would say this, that like, you know, when you talk about like gender issues, especially in the military, and yeah. they're, they're, they have their problems too. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, like I saw some comics trying to play the card of like, you know, you know, and you ladies, it's like, you're looking at a woman who worked her way up. She's now an Apache gunship helicopter pilot. So I'm like, dude, there really is no, there really is no thing for them. And it's like, and for you to like say that to try and bring them down is a mistake, you know? Right. Because she, so, she could kill you. Well, that, but it, but it really is just that like, you know, it doesn't apply here, what you're saying. So, you know, maybe in your fantastical world, it might still apply, but it doesn't apply here because it really is like a world... <clears throat> It's a, it's a world of, of um, accountability in the yes. military, yeah. which I think I find that the most attractive that like, you know, you'll go to a base overseas, let's say like a Germany, and you'll be like, wow, it's really hot in here. Why is that? And you'd be like, well, because we have to cut costs. So we're p keeping the air conditioning at a certain level to do that. And meanwhile, it's broiling in like a food court. And you're like, you know what? This would never happen at like the mall near my house 
There'd be like three complaints and they'd immediately raise it up. But they're like, no, we're doing that. And then like, then I'm like, well, where should I put this garbage? It's like, well, we're recycling now because that like, that's the right thing to do. So it's like everything that we should do here, they, they will do, yes. you know, because yes. they have to, you know, it's like they will do it. And like, there's the accountability of like, if it's not done, someone's going to get in trouble. So you I like that. You mentioned, do you get scared when you go, go in the little planes? They take, I, yeah, I hate flying to begin with, but the cool thing about flying for the military is that, like, all the things that you think you have to do on a plane, you really don't. It's, they, they do that to kind of keep you safe, like on, a, on like a commercial flight, like the buckle your seat, all that kind of stuff. Like, they'll tell you, like, you better buckle up. And then, like, you know, when you get to a certain thing, they'll, like, let you stand up and, you're, like, you're walking around. And then the next thing you know, like, you're kind of laying on the floor just because you can. And then, like, you know, you're, like, looking at the stuff they got on the plane and, like, one of the guys who, like, like on a helicopter, one of the guys would be like, hey, you want to sit here by the gun? And then you're, like, shooting the gun. So it's kind of cool that, like, you know, because you're, for that moment, you're kind of um, on their team. They let you do these different things. And they're very... They're very proud of what they do because they're really good at it. And, like, uh, you know, I don't want to turn this into, like, a flag-waving session, but, like, we're really lucky that we have people that, like, take our military so seriously. Like, they just don't put on a uniform. I mean, like, this is, like, it's, it's, uh, it's honor, it's a religion to them to do it the best they can. And, like, their job is to, like, you know, like, when you meet, like, a, you know, you meet an officer or, like, a sergeant because sergeants run the military, basically sergeant or um, warrant officer or something like that, they would tell you, like, you know, my job is to get all these guys back home. And, you know, there's not many militaries that that's their job. Well, it's also you know, a, a choice. Their job is to, like, you know, take care of themselves, right. move up. But these guys really, it's like, you know, they really do take that, you know, amazingly, uh, you know, that's, that's president in terms of what they want to do is bring everybody back. The majority of the people that go in there are going in because they can't afford college, because they okay. want to serve their country, because they really like come from a family of military people, and like mm -hmm. it's expected, and it's also something that they want to do, and um, w once again that they really want to serve, and that they really um, kind of believe in, in in what they do, and like there's a lot of kids in there who are like you know you talk about like this country's about second chances, not really anymore, not really, but like a lot of them go in there. <clears throat> And they reinvent themselves. They go to, they use it, they go to college. Okay. They use it, they become, they get a career, they learn a skill. And I think that's amazing that we still have that opportunity for everybody. That it's not just about like rich kids who are like, uh, you know, like, you know, hey, I want to be, uh, you know, an animator. So I'm going to go to that school or I'm going to learn that program. So that this still is like a way for like other, other people to do this thing. So there are things that they are struggling with. And well, there's not res there are not enough resources. For well, I'm people. glad that you brought that up because I... You feel that's not true. No, no. I think that, that that's something that's definitely true, that a lot of them are coming out with uh, mental issues, suicide PTSD, rates higher. PTSD, all these exactly. things. Exactly, yeah. And uh, if you know what I'm about is that, like, um, I'm giving money and I'm also, like, trying to champion this, this um, not champion, but I'm trying to trying to um, <clears throat> help promote this great charity called Operation Purple. And what this does is, and you'll really appreciate this, Katie, it's like the children of the uh, soldiers, um, <clears throat> a lot of them are suffering from like, you know, the soldiers come back and they're suffering physically and mentally. And uh, this also like, um, at the end of the day, because of our system, their family is the ultimate caregiver. So like this, this charity, Operation Purple, is... Um, to send the kids of these uh, veterans to camps 
where they get to, um, you know, like special programs for them because a lot of them multiple deployments. And like, this is not like a Kickstarter thing. It's like, I've given my own money. I tell people that like, if they download my thing, I'm going to try and give another 25,000 for this thing. It's great. It's with the, um, it's, it's with the National Military Family Assistance Association. And I hope I say the name right. It's too long a name, but it's really but about Operation like- Operation Purple, they can go to. Yeah, Operation Purple is part of it. And that's so cool that you brought that up because <clears throat> at the end of the day, you know, the, these, these people will come back after multiple tours, a lot of the multiple tours. When you think of all these other, like Vietnam, that was one year, maybe two, three deployments, I think was the maximum you could do. A lot of these, a lot of these, these uh, people have been deployed five, six times, you know. Because so few of us elect to serve. That, that's what it was, which is like, at the end of the day, like, you know, if we're talking like, you know, America and like, what are we about? It's like, should, should like half of 1% really do, do all the service for our whole country? I am glad you support Operation Purple. Yeah, no, I think that you would really, you'd really dig it. I think that you would, you'd get it right away because it, it really is like, you know, it's up to us now to like not drop the ball and to really help out, especially the caregivers and these programs. Because I did the benefits live, you know, I've done the Wounded Warrior and I've done the USO stuff. This is the next step of it. It's like they're coming home now and a lot of them really need the support. And like, we don't know if the government's going to step up and do it. And we don't know if like all these different things, but we can do it. And it's the least we can do. So I, I, that's all I'm saying. Go to my site, davidtell.com, and you'll see the program there or go to Operation Purple and you'll and you'll see what I'm talking about. I've been I can't talk about it enough because like I hate self promote, but this is, makes it worthwhile when you're talking about something good. So um, you're very cool. This is very I'm totally with this. This is all good. <laughs> were, were you did were you inspired just by having fans who were in the military or was it from your dad being in the Navy or just what? No, I wanted to join the military when I was younger. How how often do you work in, in LA versus here? I was just out there for a couple of weeks promoting the new shows, The Underground and uh, my special. And uh, every time I go out there, I'm older. So, like, the comics are younger and also the scene is younger. But, like, at this point, like, I don't drink. So I just, like, hang out and, like, drink coffee and chain smoke. But it's cool when I get to meet the comics that I know. Like, Jeff Ross is out there. Or, like, I saw Mark Maron and got to do Rogan's podcast. and Greg that so fun? Yeah, it's great when I see the guys. Yeah, because, like, I don't see them, you know. Like, we just talk on the phone and stuff, so. Do you feel invisible as you get older? I feel a little invisible sometimes. I like that, though. You do like it. See, I never I never got into comedy to be, like, people should notice me and all that. Yeah. I got into it to be uh, funny. And that's the whole thing of, like, with the whole, like, followers now. Like, how many followers? It's like, I did it to be funny and now it's really about everything but that and it bothers me and I think it should bother everybody that like you know the the this whole thing of like <clears throat> getting noticed and getting attention and trying to bring people to your to your site or to your shows and all that kind of stuff it's more of a job now than actually writing the jokes and it's taking all my time up and I'm sure it's taking all your time up. I can't up. stand and it like, and it's it's also interesting to me that they don't even look at the quality of the conversation or who's on it or what you're talking about actually at all they just look at the twitter number of twitter followers right <laughs> like, yeah well that's the thing you know it's so funny because like when we were doing the porn show you know like who should we get and like they would promote themselves by their twitter followers sometimes it'd be like i'm this person and i've done these movies and i've got like twenty-three thousand twitter followers and then and like isn't it amazing how even these girls and these guys doing yeah. porn, like they, it's still how many people are following them, you know? So. This is totally unrelated, but did you ever see the um, ejaculation video, female ejaculation? Squirting, I believe we call it. I apologize. That's okay. What do you call it in the feminist world? 
Um, female ejaculation. Female ejaculation. See, but that's too um, fancified to fit on a box cover. Well, I, I didn't say that I'm right for mainstream audiences, but I think you okay. should check out that video. It's a really fascinating. And what do you think of it? Do you think that's showing off? Do you think it's a trick? I do you think, think it's it, real. I think it's real, and I think it's showing off. But I think it, what was in, I saw in college? It was like a very. There were two in college movies that were like always out in college. There's one about cane toads taking over Australia. Yes. And then there was this female ejaculation video, and they were very hard to track down either one of these two videos. Hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to make a connection now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to go beyond that. Just the to, cane just toad thing, I, I kind of, I kind of get. <laughs> but those are the That's two a great. Ones. That was a great library. I guess <laughs> tip of the hat to Netflix. Now bringing out. I'm sure you can find both of those on Netflix. Did you get anything about going out to NYU? I always envied no. kids who studied film young and. I actually was not college material, even though like my parents were kind of like you know. They raised us to go to college, and they struggled, and and you know made sure that we all went. And to give my parents credit, like they were really cool parents. Like compared to today's parents, it's not like they were like you know smoking pot and like you know playing guitar. They were just cool that they were like up for us doing anything and trying stuff and failing. And now that I look back on it, I go like that was the best thing you could do. Even though like I'm you know I was mama's boy and I feel like I was smothered and it, you know affected me. I still think that like my parents were very cool in terms of letting us go out and do things. I mean, like, we really did things that now unheard of, like, you know, driving cars when we were 14, uh, you know, basically, you know, like I said, parachuting, like, I was parachuting, like, 17 years old, like, I go, Ma, can you sign this? She's like, what are you doing? And it's like, we were both going to go parachuting. She's like, go, you know, go ahead. And, like, they were all about that, and I think that's really cool, especially, like, in today's time, like, there's such helicopter parenting on these kids, you know, and I feel like the kids are under so much stress because it, it is a stressful time. They really do have a lot of stress on them. Did it? To, did be, to be successful now with jobs the way they are and all that kind of stuff, I really do feel like I give them a lot of credit, these kids, you know. But did it help you, like, go out and just do comedy because no one was, like, saying, like, you, you better be a lawyer? Like, they didn't have that. No, you know, you know what really helps being a comic is being fucking at the point where, like, you can't get any lower. Like, I had, a, I had shitty jobs and I knew that, like, I didn't have that like amazing choice like, well, if this doesn't work, I could be a law lawyer. I, I knew if this didn't work, I was either going to go into the Navy or I was going to be what I did in high school, sell shoes. I was going to be a shoe store salesman or something like that or some kind of... Or wedding dresses? Yeah, well, I would have to go back into retail. And I was like... So it wasn't like this amazing, like, you know, well, if this doesn't work, I could always go back to my first love, composer. You know, I didn't... I, I wasn't really a talented person. My sister was a musician. She was the talented she is? one. Yeah, she's super talented. What does she do? She teaches uh, music in school. Like, so I think that's cool that, like, <clears throat> she's super talented and, like, it's so hard in music. Music compared to comedy, it's like, forget about it. Comedy's like baby time compared to music. And same thing with acting. They're, they're like, so much harder than comedy. Comedy, at least you get up. You yeah. get up every, like, you look at an actor. He's like, well, I did a one-act play with a friend in his basement and three people showed up and they're like, they're riding that moment for like a month until they have an audition. How many nights do you do stand-up? Well, when I was, you know, your age or when I was really doing it, I was doing it every night, a couple times a night, every night. Would never stop, holidays, all that kind of stuff. I was obsessed with stage time. I was obsessed with doing stand-up. I would never stop doing it. And it really did like kind of skew my whole life about like, you know, you know, What's important, I would fly back from gigs to get a late night spot at the cellar. I would like, you know, it was just intense. And then as I got older, I realized that like, you know, I don't have to go out so much that like I, I should pull it back. And then that's when you realize, you know what? I don't have a life. That's when you realize like, 
wow, you know, I should be at a club right now. What should I do? You know, so that that's kind of the trade-off. Do you feel like you have an identity outside of comedy? Like I don't. I don't really... like where this question is going. No, go ahead. I mean, I don't. I don't have an identity of myself outside of my work. You know what? I think that you and I were both raised to be something, and that like, it's very important for us to work. That like, you probably feel at your at your lowest point when you're like supposed to relax. I, I don't know how to. I mean, I exactly. find this relaxing working. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? You're like I said in the beginning. You're a self-starter, and I. Those are the people that I really admire the most. It's like people who go like, you know, how do you do this? Well. I'm going to do it. And then they go forward and they push their way through everything. And to bring up a great comic who I think you will appreciate, Robert Schimmel. Oh, wow. Who never got enough attention, never got all this stuff. He is the story of Job from his own personal battle with cancer, which he beat. And he came back again and then had to get a liver and all that stuff. Plus his many, many tries in show business. Like, I would always go to him and go like, Robert, what are you working? He goes, well, this is great because I'm doing a new hour and this hour is going to be whatever. And I was like, you know what? It's so amazing to see a guy who like never, first of all, he never changed what he did. He, he stuck to what he did because he knew what he did was what he was supposed to do, which is dark, dark humor. It wasn't like sugarcoated. It was super dark, really well written, funny material. And either you got it or you didn't. And then to have all these personal problems, he lost a child. Oh my God. He uh, went through a bitter, bitter divorce. You know, the ups and downs of show business, of having a pilot, having it taken away from him because he was sick. And then to come back again and do like an amazing hour and then to write a book. And I think that like, you know, when I called him up and I would be like at a low point, like, Robert, what should I, he'd be like, listen, dude, you gotta move forward. And that's really what I'm saying to you. You gotta move forward. You got to try and overcome these things and, and to not like let them drag you down. And it's very difficult. I'm not, a, I'm not, it's easy to say it's really hard to do. But I, but I do get better about self-sabotage each year. I get less, True. less focused on that. <clears throat> Good. Did I didn't you know you were a self-sabotager because I like to think that most of my problems are self-inflicted. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the problems for anyone who comes from a privileged enough world where you always can get food for yourself and you know what I, like, I well, you know what? I, I look at them as mostly self-inflicted. Well, I'm just going to pat you on the back now. Is that like, I think that like, I feel like you, you've never had an easy road, especially in comedy and doing this kind of thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's oh a lot of, lot of talking going on. It's like <sighs> to stand out and to do it consistently, especially when there's no money. I mean, like yeah. this is all, this is all pretty much yeah. for the love of the game. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So like, you know, I really do hope that it leads to like both financial and... Uh, and sex. And sex again for you. Yeah, always. <laughs> um, can I and thank ask, you again for this delicious treat. I thought bought you something very Jewish. Yeah, a um, halava bar. <laughs> um, can I ask you two serious questions? Sure. Um, so you have a new album out. Does yes. anyone use the word album? The same no, because use the it's word not an thoughts. album. It's it's a special. That would be audio is an album. Captain is, Miserable was one of my favorite ones. You did. Yeah, you like that. Yeah, See, that it's was still the on HBO. One. Yeah, of course. And it was in DC. You say yeah, of course. No, I mean like once they own it, they're going to show it whenever they want to show it. So I'm not saying like of course. It's, I'm just saying like <laughs> you know like once you do these specials, you know they're out there, and then that you know like they will show them when they you know. They'll show them when you're hot, and then they'll show you when you're dead. Why did you go to Comedy Central from HBO? HBO seems so prestigious. Well, HBO didn't want me. And uh, the other thing would be that uh, Comedy Central, 
Um, I made the special with my own money, and like to this day, as of now, it's like still with my own money. Why do you do that? Why? Because I'm a self-starter. I, I, I wasn't going to wait for anybody. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to do, and we went out and we did it. And, uh, you know, I always think that, like, me using my own money is both a commitment thing and also um, it also, like, clears out the red tape. Like, I don't have to pitch my idea to somebody else to give me, get their money. I'll, so I'd rather make it and then show it to them, and either they like it or they don't. You know, otherwise this becomes, like, a big group project, and that could slow it down again, too, you know? And then, okay, so I just want to make sure that I get everything correct. So people can see um, <laughs> on Comedy Central at 1 a.m. on Saturday nights. It's the Comedy Underground show, 1 a.m. Um, 1 a.m. Saturday. Or they can go to Comedy Central Direct and look at past episodes of Comedy Underground, the series that I host, plus um, the Roadwork special. And if you go to my site, davidtell.com, you can learn all about Operation Purple and all the all the cool stuff that we're doing, you know, for the troops. I think the road work one, though, is the most essential for people who want to do stand-up, too, to, to really appreciate what stand-up is. Because I feel like to get good, you got to go on the road. I agree with that. I really do think that, like, uh, you have to get out there and, like, you really have to, like, kind of... Perform for people who you can't, like, project onto and be like, I know this audience is going to love me. Like, the point of being on the road is you have no idea. <laughs> you yeah, have, you really don't. No you never do. And that, to me, like, both that and the fact that you get more stage time, unless you're at your level where you can perform at Caroline's, like, <laughs> most people need to, to go on the road to get a, a real fair amount of stage time. I agree. So I think, see road work if you just enjoy humor, if you have a pulse, that's mm. also a good reason to go watch it. And, um... David Tell, I just want to tell you how much I, I love you as a human being and admire this is This is such a great time that you had me here. I really had a good time. And, I, and honestly, I'm so proud of you. And I, 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 do think, I, I do think that you are an original and that you really do stand out and you're a delight to talk to. And I didn't know it would be this so much serious talky talk, but I'm glad it was. <laughs> <laughs> I only have serious talk with comedians. Okay. Deep down inside, we are some very serious people. Yeah. Um, Peace out. Peace out. I love you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you so much to David Tal, to Ian Mazoff, Joe's Pub, and to all of you for listening. Please come to our next live taping, June 26th at Joe's Pub, and go to the website, find out ways you can get involved, subscribe on iTunes for more episodes, and just be a better person. I'm not I'm not saying that you're not good enough. You're good. You're, you're, you're doing fine. I mean, I have no idea if you're good. I feel like you do good eggs and bad eggs. Hopefully one of us will try to do more good than bad at some point today. Talk to you soon. 